What's up, everybody? You are about to listen to a free 15-minute preview of this week's bonus podcast, Top Rope Nation Extra. Did you know that we do two podcasts per week? That's right. You get our normal flagship podcast every single Friday morning, but we're doing a second show for Patreon supporters. The only way to hear these shows each and every week in full is by becoming a supporter of ours on Patreon. The link is right here in the podcast description. These are real, loose, free-flowing shows we have a lot of fun with each and every week. And like I said, the only way you can hear it is by supporting us on Patreon. So if you enjoy the normal, free, weekly show we have been doing since 2016, you're going to love Top Rope Nation Extra. Take a listen here to the free teaser. And if you like what you hear and you want to hear the full show and hear this thing every single week, sign up to support us on Patreon. Click the link in the podcast description when you get to the end of this broadcast. What is up, everybody? Top Rope Nation Extra. This is Kyle with you here on a Monday afternoon. Uh, talking Royal Rumble history, a continuation uh, of an ongoing theme here with Top Rope Nation here in January. My God, if you love to talk and listen to the history of the Rumble event, uh, not to toot our own horn, but toot freaking toot here uh, to the Top Rope Nation crew. We've got you covered. Every day on Facebook, we're talking about uh, you know one or two different rumbles. Great conversation there. Last week, one of our uh, most loyal listeners, uh, a patron, Michael Jenkinson, was on to discuss some statistics that he had compiled uh, through the years. We debated the best individual rumblers there. Uh, coming up later this week, Top Rope Nation Classic will explore the best Rumble of all time. In 1992, we're going to do a deep dive into that. Uh, certainly one of our most eagerly anticipated episodes there. But today, the name of the game is how the Rumble, uh, arguably the most famous gimmick match in WWE history, has evolved conceptually. And here to help me do that is my good friend and yours, the finest author, to come out of the UK since Bill Shakespeare himself, Mr. Liam O'Rourke. Liam, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I love every time you drop the Shakespeare reference. So I feel, I hope there aren't so many wrestling fans uh, lost, that, yeah, that kind of losers. But I will say this, if we're going to talk Royal Rumble history, there is no great man for me to do this with than you, Kyle. Thrilled to be back on Top Rope Nation. Looking very much forward to what you say about the greatest Royal Rumble of all time, 1992, uh, coming up on Classics. But we've been talking big picture today, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. Yeah, you know, I think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle would lose too many people. Perhaps, but for those of you who, do, who aren't familiar with Shakespeare, he's the guy that turned out more tragedies than Fritz von Erich. <laughs> and I think they were generally better written. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part, yeah. I, I don't think Shakespeare ever did anything so crass as that 87 show. Where he oh, worked, no. Did, did he work the local media over there on the other side of the pond? Is there any, like, you know, <laughs> record of that? Uh, I think he needed to. Okay, a different story for a different day. But as uh, we've already talked about, yes, today we're talking about the Rumbles 
history uh, from a conceptual standpoint. We've looked at it analytically, we, we, you know, on the last pod with Michael Jenkinson, you know, on Facebook again, some of the minutia of the individual ones. This is how the match has kind of evolved through the years. And we start in 1987. Yes, 1987 is when the first Royal Rumble took place. It took place in St. Louis. Less than 2,000 people were on hand at the Keel Auditorium, Liam. Uh, once a bastion of uh, wrestling fandom did not draw well. It was actually one of the lowest drawing cards of the year for WWF in the market. And this is when they chose to debut the Rumble. It was a 12-man affair. I'm going to start with this. When did you learn about this? Was it Meltzer's history piece on the Rumble like 10 years ago? Or did you know about this beforehand? Uh, I think the first time I'd ever heard of this, actually you had done a series talking about the Royal Rumble with Rick Morris, Kyle. Yes. I remember it got brought up there uh, on the FDH Lounge, and I remember on that show, that was kind of a surprise to me at the time. And then obviously when Meltzer does the, the, does the story, go back and read that, and, and, and there you go. But yeah, I, I had, I mean, long periods of my fandom, I had no idea that this had happened. Yeah, I remember that was a real, this wasn't on my format sheet, Tony, moment on the FDH. Yeah. Shout out to Rick Morris. I hope he's listening. I need to talk to Rick Morris. I haven't spoken yeah, to him in a long man. time. Uh, anyway, so in Meltzer's piece, he talks about how the rumble that night was not well received. And, you know, I read that and I see St. Louis and it's the Observer. And I just assume that's Larry Madison telling Meltzer it's something. <laughs> but as it turns out, as we've, dug a little deeper through the years, and people have uncovered a little bit of more info, this thing really sounded pretty shitty, quite frankly. So 12 men, it ends with the one-man gang and JYD going over the rope at the same time, and JYD's feet apparently hitting first, and gang is declared the winner. Now, uh, if you're looking to uncover any more information through those who were actually in the match, well... Good luck. There's an excellent piece on CBS Sportsline. Denny Burkholder wrote this about five years ago, and he actually tracked some of the participants down in the match. And wow, did they have nothing to say. Now, keep in mind, the 1987 WWE locker room, uh, you know, probably collectively not the greatest memory outside of Bret Hart. Other than, mm. And Bret wasn't in this. So, uh, you know, <laughs> one man gang who won it said he never talks about it because he just doesn't recall it. I wish I could give you details about it, but I don't really remember George Gray, who portrayed <laughs> One Man Gang, told CBS Sports. Uh, Gray did sound amused and perhaps a little flattered at the idea of being the first Royal Rumble winner. Paul Orndorff told CBS Sports he doesn't remember the show either, nor his undercard match with Rick Rude. I love how ornery his response to this article was, Liam. <laughs> We're talking about hundreds of matches since that 1980 1980- Seven show happened, or North explained. So, uh, yeah, nothing from Paul either. <laughs> Although he, he was happy to hear Rick Rude's name and had this uh, quote Rick Rude with a touch of reverence, as the author puts it. Rude was a great man. We were very good friends. I love that guy. Uh, and Demolition <laughs> really just learned a lot here from those who lived it. And then Bill Eady, Demolition Acts, quote, You're the first person that ever brought this up. I wish I could help you, but it would be all speculation. So those in the ring that night have very little to offer. I mentioned it was only 12 men uh, in this. It was a house show that 13 male wrestlers worked. Yes, 13 
Billy Jack Haynes pulled double duty on this nightly. My God, whose sick joke was this? <laughs> we don't know of the 13 male wrestlers that performed on the undercard who wasn't in the rumble. I got to figure it was Billy Jack. I mean, who's yeah, putting a shift already? I mean, yeah, f- making Billy Jack Haynes work three times in one night. I mean, that is just foul. He, uh, the reason he worked twice is he subbed for Dynamite Kid. Uh, he teamed up with Davy Boy against Demolition. This was not the period where Dynamite was really injured. That was the previous year in 86. That happened so, already, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the deal with this was. So you got to assume it's the other 12 guys. For the record, history of WWE.com, if you're listening and running over there right now, they don't have the list of 12 people. We only know one man gang and the dog were in it. Uh, they worked against each other earlier in the night. It was apparently a terrible match. Uh, a, su- a terrible <laughs> sub. <laughs> yes, a terrible sub four minute match. Other people uh, that worked the undercard that night Hillbilly Jim, Nikolai Volkov, Don Morocco, Cowboy Orton, Orndorff, Rude, uh, Haynes, Davy Boy, Demolition, Bundy. So, <laughs> not exactly the finest workers. Uh, that the WWF had to offer in 1987 were in this thing. Uh, for the record, Billy Jack Haynes uh, was a uh, sub for Ricky Steamboat, who was supposed to be a sub for Jake Roberts in the Bundy match. So we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. I believe, <laughs> Liam, that this was the tail end of Jake Roberts' cocaine suspension. I, looked I this believe up. so. Yeah, I looked that up on HistoryWB.com, and there was a lot of subs for Jake Roberts, and then he came yeah. back at the next TV taping. So that's that was. And in the case of Steamboat missing this, I assume Bonnie just wouldn't let him come to work that day. So, <laughs> uh, so in addition to not exactly the finest collection of workers in this first Rumble, and it only being 12 guys, the promotion really shot itself in the foot, Liam. And I know you're going to laugh about this. The match was supposed to determine who got the next shot at Hulk Hogan at the next St. Louis house show. So, you know, that's something we're going to talk about a little bit later on, obviously, the Mm. rumble, you know, obviously, you know, we associate it now with earning that title shot at WrestleMania. But even in the very first one, it was the step of the match was to earn a world title shot. Well, at intermission. They incredibly announced that the main event of the next St. Louis house show would be Hulk Hogan versus one man gang. So you can imagine <laughs> the collective groaning as the people saw the one man gang winning a, a real business exposing moment there, Mr. O'Rourke. Yeah, not again, this kind of smacks of a bit of a thrown together idea by somebody who wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like it's when you when you list the guys who were on the card elsewhere, you can pretty much guarantee that was the field of entrance in the Royal Rumble. It was just a, a thing to do on the night, maybe give it a, a brief trial run. But yeah, that, that's that's just like a quality control all over. But with the amount of shows they're running around that time, I can certainly understand why some things may have got uh, lost in the mail, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, no packages from George Zahorian were lost. <laughs> but anyway, you talk about someone not being there. I don't know if this was an intentional segue by you or just a mm-hmm. uh, convenient one. But Pat Patterson, who came up with the concept, was not in St. Louis that night. And in the same interview with CBS Sports, he said the reason that the match sucked so badly, he said it was because he wasn't there to run it and let people know how to work it. So uh, it kind of went off the rails. Now, fast forward to 1988. As you know, Liam, the WWF is set to do a big TV special on the USA Network. 
as in January, as the NWA is about to present its second ever pay-per-view, the just execrable bunkhouse stampede. <laughs> I, I, this needs to be said. The, the NWA, when their their first two pay-per-views sucked. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to get outworked and outmaneuvered behind the scenes by Vince, but for a company that prided itself on in-ring, to deliver just two shitty shows, like Bunkhouse Stampede and Starcade 87 was the real <laughs> kick in the nuts. Yeah, not not a good first impression for those looking to take the plunge and kind of a bit of a slap in the face for the people who've been you know fans for years. The Bunkhouse Stampede, Dusty Rhodes getting booed out of the building for winning as the booker. Yeah, not not pretty. Yeah, and that was a battle royal where you had to like escape, and it was in a steel cage. Yeah, throw them over the cage to throw, win. Throw them over the cage. Yeah, part, yeah daft, throw them over the daft, cage. Daft concept. Barbarian was there till the end, which <laughs> speaks volumes. Yeah, so you can see why the Royal Rumble looked good opposite that, but as everybody knows, Survivor Series, the first one, went opposite Starcade 87. The cable networks wanted no part of that again. So Vince can't put a pay-per-view opposite the NWA's second attempt at a pay-per-view. But he did put on a free TV special on the USA Network. And one of the, this has got to be one of the great conversations to ever take place at Titan Towers. Okay. <laughs> so Dick Ebersole. Big wig at NBC, friends with McMahon. They went in on the XFL, obviously, years later. And he had such a hand in Saturday Night's main event. Ebersole is meeting with Vince and Patterson to talk about the USA Network TV special in January of 88. And this is incredible. I, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall and hear this, Liam. Quote, for some reason, Dick Ebersole says, Vince, that card is really not that good. <laughs> Imagine hearing Dick Ebersole say, yeah, that card sucks, Vince. <laughs> Slate in the booking. Yeah. Uh, Patterson recalled that Ebersole said it doesn't stand out. There's something missing on this show that you wrote. And it's at that point Vince turns around and he says, Pat, why don't you tell Dick Ebersole that stupid idea you had? I can't imagine. He said, <laughs> was he calling him by his full name? But I don't know. I'm just reading verbatim this uh, this article on CBS Sports. So what an incredible thing that is. From, well, hey, Pat, how about that stupid idea? Why don't you share that with Dick? <laughs> and Patterson responds with, quote, first of all, it's not stupid. <laughs> then I gave the concept <laughs> to Ebersole. Uh, about one guy coming in, two minutes later, another guy comes in. Ebersol was going crazy. He says, my God, this is the greatest thing for television. Uh, the article goes on to say Ebersol saw the dramatic potential right away, uh, you know, and he called it a legal run-in, Patterson. Yeah, that, 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 was, that, was, that was the line. Yeah, it's, it's a run-in every two minutes. So, and Ebersol loved it. So the Royal Rumble becomes the main event, for lack of a better term, uh, and it's what this uh, 88 show in January is built around. There was also a Hulk Hogan-Andre the Giant contract signing on that show. This show went on to do what will always be uh, WWE's cable record. It, it did a, just a ridiculous number. So it works as a TV concept. They expanded it to quadruple, they dug it wide. 